If I, if I say the word America, what do, you, what do you immediately think of? I think most people would say freedom, right? That's what we stand for. And freedom is good, isn't it? Praise the Lord for freedom. But how far have we taken that? Haven't we colored outside the lines just a little bit? Haven't we almost made freedom synonymous with morality in a way? If there's nothing more transcendent than freedom and personal choice, then what complaint do we have as Christians against this LGBTQ stuff that we hear a lot about? If what is most moral is absolute freedom, if that's what America ultimately stands for, then aren't we as Christians immoral for stifling the, the freedom of this group of LGBTQ Americans? Isn't it immoral for us to say that they shouldn't marry or that we, sh we shouldn't allow them to influence and condition our children and to normalize their behavior in society? That's what America is saying, in case you haven't noticed. That's what they're saying about you. You are the immoral ones. You ready for that? What will you say? We don't have anything to say if we've bought into all the American idols we've covered so far in the series. If we've believed Christianity is just one option on the menu of religions, on equal footing with Islam and Buddhism and Hinduism and atheistic humanism and all the other isms that we can come up with, our voice can only be as loud as theirs and have no more effect or potency in society. Our voice just gets drowned out with the rest. If we believe the pursuit of comfort is our goal in life, if we believe the purpose of life is to get as comfortable as we can and then to stay that way, who are you to say that the way someone else gets comfortable is wrong? What if a man says he's more comfortable being a woman? Who are you to judge? And if we believe that when we get uncomfortable in this world, the answer is just to escape into our private enjoyments of entertainment and to distract ourselves from the things that we don't like in the world, we don't have anything to say. God has something to say. He has something to say about who we are in a culture arguing over identity right now and trying to figure out who they are without him. He has something to say to those people who are trying to figure out who they are in a world that he has made without him. He has something to say about sex and sexuality. And just because we're Americans doesn't give us the freedom to ignore what he says. Let's read together Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. Hear now the words of the one living and true God. 
For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. This is the word of the Lord. I chose this passage this morning because it so clearly speaks to the issue of sexual identity, and that's something we're dealing with a lot right now in our culture. And typically, it's the other way around, right? We usually preach through entire books of the Bible or large sections of it, and then we, we sort of talk about what it addresses and take those things in turn. But sometimes it's appropriate to draw circles around subjects and issues we're facing in our time and in our place in the world and to consult God's Word where it addresses those things, to see what God says about that. And we have to be in the habit of doing that if we're going to have something to say. We can't just point to things in our society we don't like and condemn them because we don't like them. Who cares what you don't like? Don't like abortion? Don't get one. Don't like open marriages? Don't have one. Don't like gender reassignment surgery? Don't have one. Who are you to tell anyone else how they should live? This is a free country, they say. We need to know God has something to say about all of these things. And we need to know what he says and to remember he has chosen us to be the ones that say it. 
So we're looking at sexual freedom and identity this morning, and we'll use the same outline we've been using for the previous sermons in this series. We'll look at the, the lie, the truth, the church, and the challenge. What, what lie we have believed, the truth of God's word, what is the church's response to this, and how can we be challenged as everyday, ordinary followers of Christ to be salt and light in the world as Christ calls us to be? So point number one, the lie. There's really a lot of them regarding this issue, and we'll cover a few specifics, but the main one behind all of them is this. My identity is my choice. We get to define ourselves. We define who we are. Isn't that just so American? We have such heightened perceptions of our wills and our rights. It's no surprise to God, though. He says, claiming to be wise, they became fools, verse 22. People legitimately believe... This is the wisest thing for them to do. They don't think it's foolish. They think it's wise. We're evolving. We're progressing. You know, we finally made it. We're finally realizing we have the freedom to define ourselves, to make up our own identity. And that's the secret. That's how we find joy and satisfaction in life. That's how we reach self-actualization. That's the lie. Believing I get the last say in who I am is the greatest freedom, and no one can take that from me. Did you know there are 107 genders? Don't laugh. My goodness, don't gasp at that. Who are you to judge? You don't get to define them. They get to define themselves, don't they? Isn't their identity their choice? I mean, don't stand in the way of progress. That's what they believe. They believe it's progress. Because America's morality has become based on the freedom of choice rather than founded upon God's word that directs us how life works best for his creatures. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and came up with 107 genders so far. There'll be more, I'm sure. And so simple things we used to take for granted, like there are only obviously two genders, male and female, that's on the table. That's a, dis- that's a debate and a discussion. And think about the impact it's having. Think about how fast that's been moving and the impact that it's having. Think about uh, women's sports, for instance, right? What's, what's happening there? You know, men are winning woman of the year and Miss America pageants. Think how quickly the, the media has normalized it how huge companies and corporations and brands have pushed it, even when it's cost them, in recent weeks, billions of dollars. Look look at how quickly it seems we've begun arguing for the legality and the ethicality of medically mutilating 
and chemically castrating children through gender reassignment surgery. We're trying to figure out if that's okay to do. Those poor children, y'all. I want to make sure we all understand something, okay? You're gonna, those children are going to grow up, and you're going to meet some of them someday. And their lives are going to be ruined. Because a lot of them had parents who wouldn't tell them who they were when they began to wonder where they fit in this world. And they needed their parents to give them that guidance and that support. We make the mistake of trying to make sense of all this, y'all, but that's the problem. Sin doesn't make sense. We see that clearly in this passage. It's not just immorality. It's insanity. Because they gave up the truth of God for the lie. They became futile in their thinking, it says, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Verse 20. God gave them over to their passions and to a debased mind. Verse 28. And what's the result? That's what happened, okay? And what happened as a result of that? Look again at verse 29. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, he says, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree, Though they know it, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. Even though they know better and they know there's punishment and judgment for it, they do it anyway and they shout their approval of it. We're in June right now. My Google Calendar let me know it's Gay Pride Month. It won't, it, I don't have a choice. I can't move that. I mean, that's not my holiday. Like, I don't need that on my calendar, but I can't remove it. Because that's what month it is in America. It's insanity. It's not just immorality. It's insanity. Sin just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to function outside of God's design for us, and the results are always devastating. And here's something to be reminded of. When people do this, y'all, okay, don't be shocked. This is not new. This is ancient. It's more ancient than Paul's letter to the Romans. This goes back way farther than that. God made man the way he wanted to in his own likeness, in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. He made the man the way he wanted to, male and female, he created them. Alternative perspectives to God's design were first introduced in the garden. Eve believed she could take hold of an identity God did not design for her. That if she ate of that fruit, she could have something more than God offered. That she could become something more than God intended for her to be. And the results were devastating, were they not? Instead of getting more, she, we, got less. Instead of becoming more, 
we became less. Sin doesn't make sense. But what's so sinful? We keep saying sin, sin. You know, beating everybody with a sin hammer. What's so sinful about two consenting adults loving each other? What's sinful about that? Well, to borrow a line from our recently departed brother and pastor, Harry Reader, why two? Why adults? I mean, where do we draw the line here, right? And that's the point. We don't. We don't draw the lines. God does. But you know, people say, well, you know, now we know, though. We, we, we know that sex is biological and, and gender is subjective. No. I mean, that's, that's a cute story you got there. But it's just not true. It's a creation of the living God. And rejecting the way that God has made us and his design for us is to reject God himself. It says God made a mistake. That what he made is not glorious. And it places faith in self rather than in God. That's a faith that cannot ever satisfy you. It's never meant to. The worship of self is not an avenue to freedom. And there's judgment for it. But God, because He is rich in love and mercy and compassion, despite our willful rejection of Him, has made provision for many to escape that judgment that we deserve. Christ, being man, died for man, and being God, rose from the dead in order to secure for us eternal life that doesn't begin after we die, but when we are born again. And then we can see ourselves clearly, right, for what we are and what we are designed to be and do. And the greatest joy and freedom in life is in that. Here's the truth. My identity is God's design. My identity is not my choice. My identity is God's design. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That's who I am. I don't feel that way on my best day. But it doesn't matter. God's word says it is true. That's who I am. Who we are and who we worship is not left up to our feelings or our preference. Read again verses 19 through 20. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have clearly been perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they're without excuse. Paul says, we can't plead ignorance. We can't say, we never knew. God has made it plain to us. And what is it that he makes plain to us? Human beings should worship God and him only. And, should, and men should act like men and women should act like women. 
See his reasoning here. Okay? Just as physical creation reveals truth about God in verses 19 through 20, physical creation, our natural bodies, reveal truth about our sexual identity in verses 26 through 27. For this reason, he says, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Our desires are to be ordered according to God's design. And he is revealed pretty clearly from what we read here. He's revealed pretty clearly in nature what our design is. And we can look in the mirror and, and figure out which puzzle piece we are, right? America might give us the freedom to choose for ourselves, but God doesn't. That's the truth. We're not free to choose our identity. God has already chosen for us, and he called it good. And God made us with a mission in mind. He made us with a mission in mind to subdue the earth and to fill it. Remember this? It was 31 chapters ago in Genesis. Less than that. He told Adam to subdue the earth and to fill it, and he couldn't do it alone. There was no suitable help, suitable help for him to help Adam do what God told him to do. It wasn't good for him to be alone. He couldn't accomplish what God wanted him to accomplish on his own. So what did he do? He made him a woman. Not from his chest, not from his back, but from his side. So that they could accomplish all that God intended for them to accomplish. To subdue the earth and to fill it. That's the natural design for men and women. And anything else is an affront to God. It's not what we were made for. You see? And people argue that being bound to binary definitions of man and woman is oppressive. They don't like that. That's stifling. It's suffocating. You know, I am not my genitalia. I can't be defined by my anatomy. Do you hear the cry and the longing in that? Don't ignore that people are saying it. Hear what they're saying. What's behind that? Do you hear the cry and the longing behind that? The desire for something to be more than physical? The soul search for meaning and for purpose? Do you hear it? Then answer it. They're right. They are more than just their anatomy. They are more than their orientation. They are more than their sexual identity. You know, that's one of the biggest issues with this whole thing. A transgender person believes if you reject what they identify as, if you reject their pronouns, you're rejecting them. You're rejecting their personhood. That's what they believe. That you're dehumanizing them. Because they believe that their worth and their significance is tied up in their sexuality. I don't believe that. 
Do you? Do you believe their value, their worth, their significance in this life is tied up in who they claim to be and their sexual identity? God's word says they are fearfully and wonderfully made. They are made in the image of God. They bear his own image. And their souls know him, Romans 1 says. They were meant to know him. But they suppress that truth and unrighteousness, verse 18. Talk to that person. Know that about them. Despite what they look at, despite what they say, despite the many ways in which you disagree with them, talk to that person made in the image of God and made to know him, that does know him. But there's having trouble in a fallen and broken world that doesn't know where they fit in. Understand this. That suppression of the truth and unrighteousness, that desire to stuff it down and ignore it, it is a desperate attempt to not be conquered. That's real. But we all must be conquered by God's sovereign grace. Amen? So the church, what's the church's response to this? When the world forgets who they are, they need to be able to rely on Christ's church to remind them. But that means we have to stop pretending we have to have to share the stage. We have to stop conceding that all religions and all ideologies have the same merits and are equally valid. They are not. God has something to say about the issue of sex and sexual identity, and he hasn't just given his opinion. He hasn't just you know, thrown his hat in the ring. He hasn't just offered his point of view in the conversation. He has spoken authoritatively on the way that life works best for what he has created in his own image, that he has designed for specific purposes. Tell you what the church shouldn't do. The church shouldn't close its doors and hide from evil. See, this is where I have the benefit of being a nobody preacher in Columbia, South Carolina. Because if I were some big deal in some broader evangelical circle, then I would catch flack for this. Everybody would listen to the sermon here. Everything I've said and not what I'm about to say. And so I'm thankful to be under their radar and to only have you as my critics. Praise God for that. The church Christians have to grow up and stop treating LGBTQ people like they have the cooties. They're people. They're sinners in need of a Savior. Have you forgotten that that was you? They are not beyond saving because God's arm is still not so short it cannot save. We have to stop playing by America's playbook, y'all, and the church, listen to me. We have to stop playing by America's playbook of toleration and acceptance 
and start playing by God's book that says, love your neighbor as yourself. I'll ask you a question I got asked when I stood before the ministers and elders of our entire presbytery when I was examined for licensure and ordination. I was asked this question. What would you do if an obvious, flamboyant, transgender person walked into your church while you were preaching on Sunday? They like to throw you some curveballs every now and then. They really do. They, they might not tell you this, but they like to see you squirm. Okay. I said, I'm so glad you're here. There's no better place that any of us can be on the Lord's Day than here at church. Because we're about to encounter a holy and righteous God who loves us all enough that he meets us right where we are, but loves us so much he will never leave us there where he found us. That's who this God is. We don't have to clean up to come to him. But when we do come to him, he will clean us up. And that's good news. There's nobody that good news is not for. We always have to be careful not to define righteousness by our own self-righteous standard and slam the door to heaven right behind us. Don't we? We don't treat them as outcasts. Christ came and died for outcasts. I was an outcast. Weren't you, David? You know, some of you children, some of us didn't have the benefit that you do. Let me see the children's eyeballs for a minute. Let me know you're listening. You need to understand the great blessing you have to have been born to believing parents who bring you here on Sunday morning the great blessing that is in that, the protection for you by your maker. Some of us didn't have that. Some of us had to be outcasts for a long time. Instead of clutching our pearls and just trying our best to avoid them and just have icky feelings about them, what we need to do is say, I've got something you've got to hear. They say, but you don't understand me. I say, I don't need to. I understand sin. I'm a sinner too. They say, but you don't approve of me. I say, I don't know why you ever believed you need my approval. You don't. Forget about me. You need Jesus, not my approval. Let me tell you about him. So that's part of the challenge, the last point here. We can't stop at thinking of God as merely a creator. He is our redeemer. He is a redeemer. You know, it's one thing for us to say, God made us one way and it's a sin to try to be something other than the way that he made us. We'd be right in saying it and we need to say it. But wagging our fingers in disapproval doesn't change anything. We can't just stop at telling people they are not conforming to the sexual identity they were created to have. Because even their conformity 
to their given sexual, sexual identity will not save them. They have to be conquered by God's sovereign grace. Not shamed into conformity with societal norms. They have to be redeemed by the blood of Christ. So what I hope we can all grab onto and understand here is that this kind of transformation that we all agree we want to see, we want to see, uh, the, we want to see this stop, you know? I mean, how fast it's been going, how far we've gotten. When, when, when's, the, when's the madness going to stop? We want to see that. We want to see transformation. And it is possible. I want you to understand that. It just doesn't happen apart from regeneration. That's a tough pill to swallow, but the sooner you do, the sooner that medicine will get in you and make a difference. We all know how regeneration happens, hopefully, right? The gospel, and so we shouldn't be shy about it. Paul says, you realize, two verses before the ones that we just read this morning, two verses before, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? It is the power of God unto salvation. And then he launches right into sin and judgment for sin and our need for righteousness, our lack of it, our inability to do what is pleasing to God in the flesh and how we're all doomed, but how this knowledge brings us to the truth. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, he says, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. We tell the truth about sin. We offer the hope of the gospel because we love our neighbors as ourselves. Or not. And we can just have more of what we've been having. Just more of the same. Jesus wants transformation. That's clear from Scripture. Isn't that what we want as, as Christians, as His people? Transformation is not possible without regeneration, and regeneration is not possible without the gospel. That's what we need to understand. And when God saves someone, He doesn't just leave them where He found them. It's not what He's done with any of us. So I want to challenge us to consider something this morning. What are you going to do with your desired outcome? Go there for a minute. You know the, the um, dogs that have like a fetish with chasing after cars or bicycles on the street or something like that, you know? They never think about what they'll do with it once they get it. They just want to chase it. I think a lot of Christians in America become that way. We don't know, we don't know what we'd do with it once we got it. We have trouble thinking about what we would do with what we want if we actually got it. What if God blesses you with an opportunity this week to share the gospel with a transgender person and blesses you with the boldness to actually follow through with it? Suppose they say, okay, I'm convinced. I'm convinced, I'm convicted, I'm a sinner. And I need Christ and the forgiveness that he offers me. Now what? What do I do? What do you tell him? 
You going to invite them to church? You going to have them sit next to you? We got to be prepared for the scenario, y'all. And I'm not saying our hearts aren't there at King's Church, okay? But maybe our minds aren't. We have to be prepared for that. This is where we are. This is a real thing. If we got what we want, we would have transgender people. We would have people who are is a man who cut things off to become a woman and is now stuck with the consequences of that decision and vice versa. And if God does what we say we want him to do, they're going to be sitting next to you in the pew saying, God, help me. How then shall I live? That's what getting what we want looks like. Are you ready? Will you stick by them as they begin to unlearn what the world has taught them and help them to embrace their true identity now as blood-bought Christians who are a new creation in Christ Jesus? Who's been enabled by the Holy Spirit to walk away from their former sins and to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which all of us are called? That's hard work. That's hard work, and we need to be prepared to do it. We're not defending ourselves from, from any of that. We're not defending ourselves from them. These aren't boogeymen hiding in your closet. We're supposed to go get them, not hide from them. We're supposed to go get them and tell them to surrender to King's, King Jesus and to let them know that there's help and hope for sinners saved by grace. There's a place for them in the kingdom of God. They're all craving something the world can't offer them and suffering because they're stuffing that truth about God that's been revealed to them, that's been revealed to all of us, that is plain to us and all that we can see. They're stuffing that down, stuffing the truth about God and themselves, and it's making them miserable. Don't believe what they said. I mean, statistically, it's making them miserable. But on the authority of God's word, it leads to disaster. It's making them miserable that they're stuffing that down. We just read that. So you need to consider some of them are waiting to hear the good news that you have to offer them. So last point. The last point I'm making to parents. I've made a real point, a strong point, of um, including parents in these applications. It's not to the exclusion of anybody else, y'all, okay? If you're a parent now, or Lord willing, you become a parent in the future, I want you to remember these things. Amanda and I were greatly benefited by hearing a bunch of stuff we didn't have anything to do with until 10 years later. But God brought it all back around. So the last point is for parents. I've made a strong point to try to include y'all because we don't have much time left. We think we do, we don't. We need to be intentional about preparing the next generation for the world they're inheriting and teach them to play offense, not defense. We've been playing defense too long. We need to prepare the next generation to play offense, not defense. So parents, stop playing defense with your kids. Stop hiding them from the world and start showing them where its weak points are. 
Make the world afraid of what you're making at home. You know, I think sometimes Christian parents, I, hear, I just hear this a lot, just sort of out there. And I mean, I realize my, my bubble and what I hear isn't like the whole enchilada, but I hear a lot of this enough to think it's, it's probably pretty common fare, all right? A lot of Christians, there's a lot of books being written about this, where, where Christian parents just think it's their goal to make sure their children don't walk away from the faith when they go to college, that's a pitiful goal. That's a pitiful goal. We, we worry about the influence other kids have on ours, and we should, right? A companion of fools suffers harm. But rather than being afraid of the neighborhood kids influencing ours, you know, these neighborhood kids whose parents are pagan, atheist, bad people, leftist, blah, 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 blah. We're worried about our kids' influence. They need to be worried about our kids' influence and theirs. They need to have private conversations in their living rooms, husbands talking to wives and saying, you know, you keep letting Charlie hang out with those Parton boys, he's going to end up a Christian. Got to be careful. Don't hide your children from this or any other issue facing our culture today. Prepare them for it. Don't shelter them from it. You, you won't be successful. They already know, right? Whether it's Disney or PBS Kids or, or Target, walking down the aisles at Target, Starbucks, just about anywhere else, they're already finding out. They're being told what to believe about human sexuality already. And if we're going to have any effect on the culture widely, like we've been talking about this morning, that stuff gets us excited. We got to do it at home. We need to know why we believe what we believe. We need to know why we believe what it is we say we believe. And here's what we believe. Here's what we know. Jesus is better. Think what you want. You're wrong. Jesus is better. His design for us in our, as our creator is better and his message is our redeemer, is better. There's forgiveness for sinners and new life for those recreated in his image. As we think about this issue, consider God's word and look forward to that question I asked before. What are you, what, what are you going to do when you get it? How can we be asking God to prepare us now in our minds and in our hearts? May we love our neighbors as ourselves, meeting them where they are, okay? Not shying away from them, not treating them as outcasts. Christ came and died for outcasts. Meeting them where they are, but loving them enough to not leave them there. Offering the warning and hope of the gospel and praying by the Holy Spirit, people would leave the darkness to leave all that behind and begin walking in the light, made new. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you as you remind us there is nothing new under the sun. There's nothing we will face in this life that we cannot go to your word and find answers for. 
Lord, sometimes it's not, it's not totally clear, but you've given us your spirit, that by your spirit we can understand your word. We pray, Lord, that you would give us understanding, that you would give us great wisdom, that you would give us discernment, that you would give us the discipline to look to your word for guidance, that we wouldn't ignore these issues going on in our world, but that we would face them head on and that we would trust we have the armor of God with us to be engaged in the fight. Lord, would you embolden us by your spirit to be willing and active participants in this kingdom you've called us to. Lord, we trust in you. We trust in you alone. We trust not in the wisdom of men. We trust not in uh, changing policies. We're not going to educate ourselves out of these problems, Lord. These moral problems lead to insanity. We need light. Lord, give light. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.